My claim to fame is that I started the first intern program for Indians at the Smithsonian Institution. The year was 1972, and I got encouraged to develop a program to help American Indians become archivists, librarians, and historians. I ran that program for 10 years, and different tribes were allowed to pick one person to come and spend time at Washington and to work in the archives at the Smithsonian, where I was director of the National Anthropological Archives. And the idea was to encourage them to get material about their tribal histories, photographs, letters, and help set up tribal archives, but also encouraging those who might be interested in becoming librarians and historians as well as archivists. And among the people who came to my program, one was George Horsecapture, who you'll hear about in a number of my podcasts. And he ended up becoming a major person in the Museum of the American Indian, a senior curator, one of the most prominent people from a very humble background. He had been an enlisted man, just like I had been, and we became good friends. Then another one was Michael Hermeny Horses, lived at Wounded Knee and Pine Ridge Reservation. Another one was Joseph Medicine Crow, who you've heard a lot about, and Joseph Medicine Crow's great-grandfather, White Man Runs Him, was one of Custer's scouts at Little Bighorn. So anyhow, in making friends with these different people, I got encouraged to start collecting family stories, and it turned out that a number of the stories I was collecting related to the Battle of the Little Bighorn, and eventually put that all together into a book called Little Bighorn Remembered, the untold Indian story of Custer's Last Stand. Now, a lot of stories came my way, and one came in a very strange way, and it wasn't from the Indian side, it was from the cavalry side. I was teaching archival science at Catholic University, and one of my students, Charlotte White, came up to me after class one day and said, do I know much about the Battle of the Little Bighorn? And I said, well, I happen to be quite interested in that story. I'm working on a book on it. And I said, why do you ask? And she says, well, my Uncle Willie was killed at Little Bighorn. And I looked at her and I said, your Uncle Willie? I said, now this was in the 1990s that I was teaching this class. And I said, how could someone have been killed at Little Bighorn be your uncle? That had been a hundred years ago. And she said, well, he's known as Uncle Willie in our family. His name was William Van Wick Riley, and he was a lieutenant in the 7th Cavalry, and he wrote three letters home to his mother. We still have them in the family, and so he's always been referred to as Uncle Willie, because that's how my mother's mother always referred to him. So I naturally got quite intrigued. I found it very difficult to believe that three letters from the 7th Cavalry would show up like that, and I said, could you show me those letters? And sure, she said, and so she brought them to class the next day, and it was amazing. Three letters written by William Van Wick Riley to his mother, one of them written five days before he died with Custer at Little Bighorn. And so naturally, I got quite interested in his story, and it was an amazing story in itself. William Van Wick Riley's father had been a naval officer, died at sea. His mother had wanted him to become a naval officer, and he had gone to the Naval Academy at Annapolis, but flunked out. My mother was very embarrassed, wanted him to become an officer in the military, and she persuaded officials in D.C. that her son merited a commission, so he was put into the cavalry, and he was assigned to a black regiment, 
in Texas. Well, the mother certainly didn't want that. She thought that it was not healthy for him to be out there in the far west. Uh, she said he ought to be with a white regiment. said, well, by coincidence, they were recruiting soldiers for a big movement against the Northern Plains Indians. And so she threw her connections in D.C. She got him transferred to the 7th Cavalry. And of course, that makes the rest history. He, uh, his letters are fascinating. His first letter home said how he was having a hard time riding his horses. He said he was not a good rider, but it turns out a lot of the officers weren't good riders. But he was able to keep from getting bucked off very frequently. And the last letter he wrote home he said uh, that they still hadn't seen any Indians, but Custer promised a fight in four days. And so he wrote to his mother and said that uh, he was not too happy with being in the cavalry anymore. Things are not as much fun as he thought they would be. And he said, if I live through this campaign, I'll meet you in Philadelphia for the World's Fair. And he closed his letter and said, pray for your devoted son, Willie. Well, Custer kept his promise. They met Sitting Bull about four days later. And when dust settled, Riley's body was found lying next to Custer's on Custer Hill. And his mother just went into a deep state of depression. She blamed herself for her son's death. She uh, was so almost inconsolable. And as it turned out that when Riley died, he was wearing the family heirloom ring. And the ring had belonged to Francis Scott Key, the person who had written the national anthem. And so the mother made it her goal to get that ring back. And so she wrote to different widows whose husbands were killed at the battle. And she wrote to the military officials and just pleaded with them. One of her letters, she wrote, My dear sir, may I beg your interest in trying to recover the ring worn by my son, Lieutenant William V.W. Riley, 7th Cavalry, USA, who was sacrificed with Custer June 25, 1876. I am a widow, and my poor boy was my idol, being in every way all a most exacting mother could desire. And with the letter, she sent a drawing of the ring, which featured a griffin with a key in its mouth. You can readily understand how serious I am to get it, being on his finger when he was killed. By exerting yourself in my behalf, you will have the lasting gratitude of a most afflicted mother. Well, years went by. When Riley's body was found, there was no ring on it. The Indians, of course, took the rings off of the soldiers they killed and usually took them as souvenirs, wore them on ribbons around their neck, on rawhide. So anyhow, his mother just kept writing letters and she would send pictures of the ring to different people out west. So she sent the letter to an Indian agent in Montana, and the Indian agent responded to her and said that a Sioux leader to whom he had shown the picture of the ring said he had seen such a ring in one of the hostile camps. So anyhow, that news inspired her in April 1877 to ask the Commissioner of Indian Affairs and the Secretary of War to send a circular to each of the western states in request that they look for that ring. As it turned out, even before she wrote that letter, the ring had been found. Earlier that month, Lieutenant William Filio Clark of the 2nd Cavalry obtained the ring from a northern Cheyenne who surrendered at Fort Robinson, Nebraska.
Clark, assuming that the ring had been taken from one of the dead soldiers at Little Bighorn, notified the editor of the Army and Navy Journal. Shortly thereafter, it was presented to Riley's grateful mother. In 1944, the family donated that ring to the Smithsonian Institution, and Riley's letters from the Bighorn campaign still remain with the family. But when I heard about the ring being donated to the Smithsonian, I got Charlotte White to join me, and we went to the Museum of American History, and we were able to get the ring, and she was able to hold it, and I held it too. And so there it is, a national treasure that remains as a relic of the Battle of the Little Bighorn. Again, just one of those amazing stories that occur when you work at the Smithsonian Institution. You just never know when the door opens what story is going to come in, who's going to bring something that is in someone's attic, under their bed, whatever that is part of the treasures of American history. Thank you.